this evening to the book of James, the last part of James, chapter 5, verse 16. James, chapter 5, and verse number 16. We're going to read the three verses. James says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth but the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. A few days ago... I started to write a short article on the subject of prayer, and all of a sudden, as it often happens, the floodgates of my mind just begin to open up, and that's all I could think about. Even after I finished the article, I'm still thinking about uh, uh, what I had just written, and uh, I don't know whether it's an old age thing or what, but you get on a one-track mind, and it's hard to you know, go back and think about something else, but I went back over the years, in fact, all of the way back to the very beginning of my Christian life, and I, I got to thinking about the things that helped me most. And at the top of the list, there was a trio of things that, uh, well, things you might have guessed. There's Bible study. Uh, well, I tell you, I didn't want to miss any service. I, we, we were there absolutely every single service. I, I just couldn't get enough of it. I you know, I was there on for Sunday school, and was there uh, for the Sunday morning service. So we was there for uh, what they call training union, as some churches do, did, and uh, the evening service, Wednesday night, just any time that I, I could, uh, I could get together and study the Bible. And then there was Christian fellowship, and I've mentioned that quite often. Uh, I just simply do not know what we would have done. Uh, with that Christian fellowship, the particular church where I, where I was saved uh, uh, had several young families in it, and we just, I mean, they rallied around us, and it formed a nucleus that, uh, that just was very helpful. But the third thing, of course, as you might guess, is prayer. And I think I can honestly say nothing would have been enough without prayer. All of the Bible study, all of the good Christian fellowship that we enjoyed, all of those things, as needful as they were, as important as they were, without prayer, it would have never been enough. Uh, in that church, we had uh, prayer meetings every Sunday night. Uh, I can't remember the exact time. I think we started at 7 back then. But at 6 o'clock, we had uh, had a prayer meeting. And when I say that, I'm talking to all of the men. We'd get together, crowd together in one room. All of the ladies crowd together in another room. Get all the young people over in another room. And take just a few minutes for prayer requests. And then we would divide up. And uh, the men would go one way, the women another way in the Sunday school rooms. And sometimes, you know, depending on how many people were there, uh, there would only be two in a room. In another room, there might be four. In another room, there might be as many as six. But everybody had an opportunity 
to pray that way. And I attended uh, for one thing because I knew I needed I needed prayer, and secondly because I knew I needed to pray. At first, I was scared to death because I, I you know, prayer was something new to me. I'd never prayed before. And I certainly had never prayed out loud or in the presence of someone else. So, uh, but from the very beginning, I had a, a great interest in the subject of prayer. In fact, the very first sermon I ever preached was on the subject of prayer. Uh, and uh, so, I, I mean, it's pretty obvious that it was something important to me. I've often said... And, and I really believe with all of my heart that everything we do depends upon prayer. The problem is, I say that, I believe that, but I have to confess that I've not always prayed like that was really true. And I really suspect that that's probably true of all of us. You know, we, we affirm the fact that prayer is just that important, that if you know, if we want God's blessing upon anything we do, whether it's a cantata, the Christmas program, door-to-door visitation, whatever we do, if we want God to bless it, we better be praying about it. We know that, but so many times we don't really pray like it's actually that important. And I'm convinced Satan knows how important prayer is, and that's why he works overtime to hinder us and when we consider the weakness of our flesh that's really a you know a pretty easy thing for satan to do i've discovered there are two great dangers when it comes to prayer and uh, this especially when i go back to whenever i was a new christian one is being overly concerned about the manner in which we pray and as i said i was a new christian you know i uh the very thought of praying in public scared me to death. I'd heard, you know, some of the men pray, and uh, I thought, boy, I could never do that. The pastor called on them, and boy, they'd jump up and they'd pray, and uh, I'd hear them, they'd be quoting scriptures, you know, and uh, using flowery phrases, that, and speaking eloquently about God's greatness, and and I began to know some even began to, they used a different accent and was speaking in King James English. Oh, thou great God of Jeroboam, Zeroboam, and boom, boom, all the boom, boom boys. And, you know, and I thought, huh? <laughs> uh, some would really shout out words for certain emphasis with great emotion. Oh, God, you know. And, boy, I mean, they really put themselves in it and uh and I, look, i'm not making fun of that by the way that, that's not what i'm saying but i'm telling you i thought well, i'd never be able to pray that way to ever be able to uh, up in front of people praying like that but that was before then i began to realize you don't need to do those things you don't need to speak in king james english you don't need to raise your voice I mean, if that's you and you're expressing your emotion, then, you know, that's fine. But you don't need to do all of that stuff. Prayer is just simply talking to God and asking God uh, for what you need. I mean, that's what prayer is, is all about and giving Him the praise that He deserves. 
Kind of like the one fellow said, the best prayer he ever prayed was dangling from a telephone pole lying up there, you know, and he couldn't get down, and he's just hanging there, and he's upside down, and he says, that's the best prayer I ever prayed. I, 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 look, I know some preachers that, that they don't really believe you prayed unless you're kneeling. I'll never forget the first time I ever saw an example of that. I was, a, I think, at a preacher's fellowship meeting. The preacher was up there, and he said, now let's have a word of prayer, and he disappeared. Really, he just disappeared, and I thought, where'd he go? And then I started hearing his voice, and I realized he's on his knees down behind the pulpit. Now, that's all right. Please, please don't think I'm making fun of him. But I'm telling you, the truth of the matter is that is fine. There's not a problem with that at all until he begins to tell me that I've got to pray that way and that you've got to pray that way, and then we've got a problem. It's a big problem whenever we get so concerned about the manner in which we pray that we think that we've got to, you know, we've got to follow a prescribed ritual of some kind. And uh, the second problem is the opposite of that, which is to be too casual and too careless. Yeah, that can happen too. You know, I realize that Jesus is our elder brother and God is our father, but don't ever fall into that trap of thinking that you can address him as J.C. or some silly thing like that. Not, and God's not the big man upstairs. He is a holy God, and we got to be careful lest we become too casual, too careless in our prayers. The point is that regardless of the direction in which we err, it can be a fatal flaw because sometimes our prayer life just degenerates into a cold, dead, lifeless, mere formality rather than a heartfelt plea for God's help. In other words, we become guilty of saying a prayer instead of praying. I think we parents sometimes are guilty of that because we'll say something like this to our kids. Did you say your prayers tonight? Did you say your prayers? And I know what we mean, and we certainly don't mean any harm by that, but there's a difference in saying a prayer and actually praying. Because you can say a prayer and it'd be totally meaningless. I mean, they can say a prayer in the movies. On television. But to really pray is something different. And let me tell you, this can happen to anyone. And I say that because over the years there have been many times whenever, when, when you know, whether it was myself or whether it was my family or others that have been in desperate need of prayer. And, and, and I, I would pray and pray earnestly, oftentimes with tears in my eyes, whether it was day or night, and I literally begged God for His help, and He answered. And I don't know how to explain the way I felt except to say that I was beyond impressed. It, it was like, wow, I can't believe God did that. He really did. He answered the prayer. He met the need. And I was shocked by the great things that God did. And at that moment, I thought, man, 
I'm going to pray like that all of the time because you would think that would inspire a person to pray like that at all, all times, but it doesn't work that way. For whatever reason, as time went by, I found myself returning to the rut. Returning to the rut. Reverting back to the routine. Back to something that was just half-hearted business as usual. You see, we all tend to do that. Remember after 9-11, boy, I'm telling you, the next week, and churches knew this was going to happen. After 9-11, the churches were packed, all-time record attendance the next week. And the next week after that, the churches were full, attendance records were broken, people were praying. We could hear our politicians even talking about how important it is to pray and to lift up our nation. But about the third week, attendance was right back where it had been. We went right back to the rut. And we see it again and again if we're in a severe drought and it's affecting our economy. The governor will say, please pray for the great state of Texas and an economic turnaround. We need rain. That's happened. As soon as we get the rain, what do we do? We get right back in the rut again. I can't help but wonder what would really happen if we prayed at all times, as though everything depended on prayer. If we really believe what it says here, the prayer, notice, of a righteous man availeth much. I'm really convinced if we really did that, we'd see more people saved. I think we'd see more backsliders that are restored. I think we'd see more sick people healed, more needs met, more victories won, more lives changed, more people added to the church. I think if we real, really all of us would pray that way, like everything depends on this, I'm convinced with all of my heart that we would see those things happen. Now focus here on, on this phrase. He says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, notice this phrase, the effectual fervent. Effectual fervent, that is one Greek word. Now, as you know, I never do anything trying to correct the King James Version of the Bible. It doesn't need any correction. But it does help to get some explanation sometimes because... Anyone in their right mind realizes that our English Bible came through by way of the Greek manuscripts and the Hebrew manuscripts. The New Testament was written in Greek. And, and, and so here what we read in English, these three words here, the effectual fervent comes from one Greek word that meant operative or to be at work or to put forth power to aid or to display activity. Now, we need two English words because the one Greek word means much and power. That's why we, in English, if we're going to understand that word, we say fervent and effectual. And, and you don't have to use both of those words. In the Greek, all you had to say here was the effectual 
the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man. And, and the fact that it, notice he says, availeth much. That's another way of saying you can depend upon it. It availeth much. It will accomplish something. Now he's speaking about the prayer of a righteous man. And by that, he's not just talking about somebody that is saved. Certainly, you know, if we want to communicate with God effectively, we need to, we need to be saved. Amen? I mean, God's not obligated to hear the unsaved person as he prays, and you know, unless he is doing so in regards and along with faith in trusting Christ as his Savior, and it's not the prayer that saves him, by the way, but I think it's safe to say it sure gets God's attention when somebody says, you know, our Father in heaven, I, I'm turning to you and trusting you and the work that your dear son did on the cross to save me from my sins. I think that gets his attention, but basically, basically God listens to the prayer of his children. But when he says a righteous man, this is more than somebody that is saved. It's speaking about someone that is living right. And what does that mean? Well, it means someone that is striving to please God. And his prayers, the prayers of a righteous man, are effective. They're energized, in other words. They accomplish something. A lot of folks are confused about this word fervent here, but... We, you know, we, we think about that word in the context of, 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 of the passion or the uh, fervency of it and uh, the emotion that they put into it. And so they assume that if somebody is really passionate about prayer, that it'll be more impressive and that it'll be more effective. But that's not the point. It is personal righteousness not emotional passion that makes the prayer effective. In other words, prayer doesn't have to be loud, long, and lovely. It's not the emotion of it, but it is the prayer of a righteous man. So if you're in need of prayer, we often share our prayer requests one with another as well we should, but if you're in need of prayer, don't depend upon the person who is the most emotional or the one who is the most eloquent in their prayers. Instead, what you need to do is to find the one, the one who is impressing you by their holiness. Someone who has a genuine concern for others. Someone who is conscious about their own personal sinfulness. Someone that's willing to confess their sins. And the next verse gives an example of what I'm talking about. Look in verse 17. Elias, that's Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Now, those of you familiar with that story, and I've preached on that several times, I, I'm sure you understand why he prayed that way, because God was leading him to do so as a result of the sinfulness of the nation, and God withheld the rain. But notice how God does it. God does it through putting it on the heart of his servant to pray in that manner. But 
This example of Elijah reminds us that God is both willing and able to do great things in our lives. We're talking about controlling the weather. Hey, that's a pretty big deal. I've never met anybody that could do that. He prayed, and it says here, notice, that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth for three and a half years. God has his way in the whirlwind, the Bible says. God is in control of even the weather. And so it reminds us that God can do great things in our life, the the power of prayer. And we need to think about that. Uh, It was entirely by the grace of God. One of the very first books I came across as a new Christian, and boy, believe me, I was looking to find anything I could to read uh, and especially when I surrendered to preach and I was trying to prepare myself and I, I'd go through every used bookstore I could find and look for books. But I came across a little book by E.M. Bounds and it was called The Power of Prayer, a little paperback book. And uh, l- later on, that was just one of his many works. And, and f- I have today, in fact, not only a copy of that little one message book on the power of prayer but the complete works by e.m bounds i've given away several copies i still have a copy that i keep in my office but but that little book the power of prayer i i read that thing over and over and over again and and e.m bounds at least in my opinion if you want to read something about prayer that will challenge you and inspire you i can't think of anything better uh, but I, won't, I said that because I want you to listen to this quote I jotted down many, many years ago. I didn't want to ever forget it. Here's what he said. The trend of the day has a tendency to lose sight of man or sink the man in the plan or organization. God's plan is to make much of the man far more of him than of anything else. Men are God's method. Now, now, ladies, he's not talking here, excluding you. He's speaking about mankind in general. And he says, men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God's looking for better men. And he goes on and he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better or new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mightily in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not uh, anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. We need to remember that because so many times we get dependent upon programs in the church. And, and, you know, there's not anything wrong with ministries in the church. We ought to have ministries in the church. But we better never, ever become dependent upon programs and so-called ministries and what have you to get the job done and ignore prayer. I mean, I saw that back many years ago whenever this thing of church attendance become the main concern, it seemed like, of just about every church in the nation. And every Sunday, churches were having some kind of promotion Sunday. 
If it wasn't one thing, it was another, but it was anything to get the attendance up. Our church, at least at that time, the church where I was saved, didn't do it. And I asked the pastor, I said, why don't we do those things? No, we had what was called an old-fashioned day, and we had a homecoming, and, but we didn't do all of that other stuff. And he, he made this statement. He said that if you start that stuff, just trying to fill the building, he said, then you've got to keep it up every week because as soon as you stop it, it goes right back to where it was. And boy, was he ever right. The success of this church is not going to be dependent upon us having some kind of special souped-up program that's going to so impress the community that we'll get them all in here. What we'll do is end up with a bunch of goats instead of sheep and end up having a church split. It's when God adds to the church that's when it really counts. Now, with all of that in mind, I, did, I just want to mention four or five simple things about the example of Elijah. The example of Elijah. Verse 17 tells us that he was real. Notice, Elijah was a man. In other words, he wasn't an angel. He wasn't some special creation. He wasn't an imaginary figure, but he was a man. He was a plain, ordinary, imperfect man, not a make-believe character, just a mere man. Notice how he describes him. Subject to like passions as we are. That means he knew what it was to face temptation. He knew what it was to be fearful. He knew what it was to face enemies, to fall into depression. He knew what it was to fail. He didn't pretend to be what he wasn't. He was just an imperfect man. And that ought to encourage us. Because you don't have to be superhuman or an intellectual giant for God to use you. He proves that. He's a real man. But look in verse 16 here, and I already mentioned this. It says here that he was a righteous man. He was the very example, you could say, of a righteous man. And by the way, what could be said that is greater about a person? That he is a righteous person. In other words, that he's doing those things that are right in the sight of God, those things that are pleasing to God. Now, Again, I remind you, he, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. He had some problems, and, and he got discouraged just like we all do. But on the whole, he was faithful. He was just. He was honest. He was obedient. He was blameless on the whole of his life. You see, we all have moments that we act out of character. We're not ourselves. You know, our temper gets the best of us or this or that or the other and we act out of character, but that's not us. But the, the general tendency of our life ought to be one toward righteousness. And it has a great effect upon the results of our request. That's why Paul said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, and doubting. Listen to what John said in 1 John 3, 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. 
That tells me that we can have assurance in our prayers if we do those things that are pleasing in His sight. If we keep His commandments, we can depend upon God to meet our needs. So if we're going to follow the example of Elijah, then it requires that we be a righteous people. Now notice verse 17, and the third thing I want you to notice is that Elijah was reliant. Notice it says he prayed earnestly. That's an interesting phrase because look at the word earnestly there. It is in the Greek, it is a form of the same word that is translated prayed. In other words, what he's saying, he prayed with prayer. That's basically the point of it. He prayed with prayer. And I wondered, you know, why it would say that. But, the, you know, the historians, historians and the Greek scholars and those in the know as to, you know, how things worked back in that day and, and the Greek language and what have you, they tell us that that was done to express earnestness or intensity. He prayed with prayer. He run and he run, we might say, in regards to, in regards to running or whatever. It's just an emphasis. Uh, and, and so he's saying it twice, basically. And it just simply tells us that he's not playing in regards to his prayers. Here's a man that, that is single-minded with a strong desire for God's will to be done. That always gets God's attention when He knows that we have that strong desire for His will to be done because so many times we just pray out of a sense of duty rather than out of a deep desire or out of desperation. It's just a sense of duty because we know that good Christians, you know, they do certain things. They read their Bible, they attend church, and they tithe, and they pray. And I wouldn't be a good Christian if I don't say my prayers every day. So we pray. So we can say we did. Not because we really feel like everything depends on prayer, but just so we can say, yeah, I prayed today. Well, that's why we failed. The old Puritan Thomas Brooks wrote, he said, Cold prayers are as arrows without heads, as swords without edges, as birds without wings. They pierce not, they cut not, they fly not up to heaven. Cold prayers always freeze before they reach heaven. Well, you know, that's one way to look at it, and that, that's certainly true. It's... It, in other words, we can go through the motions and the form of it, but it really, really doesn't mean anything. And if you study the Old Testament, you'll see that there's time and time and time again that God rebuked the children of Israel, telling them right up front that I'm not going to listen to your prayers. Your prayers are meaningless to me. In fact, in some cases, their prayers were offensive to God. Someone wrote, and I can't remember the name, but I just had jotted down the article, a little short comment. And it said, it's not the arithmetic of our prayers, how many they are, 
nor the rhetoric of our prayers, how eloquent they be, nor the geometry of our prayers, how long they be, nor the music of our prayers, how sweet our voice may be, not the method of our prayers, how orderly they may be, not even the theology of our prayers, how good the doctrine may be, which God cares for. Fervency of spirit is what availeth much. Sometimes we forget what really counts with God whenever we go to Him in prayer. Every person here, if you'll stop and if you'll think and if you'll be honest, you can think of something that is of extreme importance. I'm not talking about some frivolous thing that that we call a need in our life. I'm talking about a For some people, you know, a matter of life and death, cancer, heart disease, whatever it is. For others, it's a domestic issue. Their marriage is on the rocks and, uh, well, it's about families about to be destroyed and there's a number of different things that uh, call for prayer. For some, for some, it's just the fact that you have friends, you have relatives, family that's lost. Just one heartbeat out of the devil's hell. I mean, they they are that close to going to hell for all of eternity. And if we're going to be serious about anything, we ought to be serious about prayer. I know churches go through peaks and valleys. I know that there are seasons of sowing and seasons of reaping. That that's just the way it is. That's and you can't really change that. So we can't expect to see the same number of souls saved every month because it's going to vary depending on a lot of things, some things that we don't have any control over. As a young preacher, you know, I'd get really discouraged. Boy, you know, we're not getting seeing anybody saved and church attendance is down a little bit and uh, Used to, the first thing I did whenever I walk in on Sunday morning, as soon as they posted the, everybody had one of the, yeah, Nolan's laughing, every Baptist church had one of those boards up there to announce the number in Sunday school, the number of Bibles brought, what the offering was, and I'd look at that, and boy, if it didn't measure up to what I desired, I'd be all bent out of shape and sometimes just chew everybody out and throw a holy fit up behind the pulpit and make a fool out of myself. And finally I realized, you know, God tells me to preach the Word, not to bless it. I I can't bless it. I can't make anything happen. But I'm saying all that to say this. We really can't expect a lot to happen if we don't make it a matter of prayer. If we want to see souls saved and added to the church and the church growing, missions expanding, if we want to see that, we've got to pray about it. And the first church I started, I should say we started because we it was in our home. That's where we had our first meeting in the home. We didn't have a building, property, or anything. We didn't have the money to rent a building to meet in at that time. So we met in the home and over a period of time in that little town of a population of I think it was 405 or 6 or just 400 and something less than 10 
and uh, within a matter of a of a year, we were up to a hundred, and we'd had I, I remember we had fifty two people saved, fifty two saved, and and I can tell you probably ninety percent of them, ninety uh, percent of them followed the Lord in baptism because that was just a common thing back then. I mention that because. Without a lot of prompting on my part, I didn't have to really say much about it. I, they might have been afraid I was going to throw another one of those holy fits. I don't know. But if we went a couple of weeks without somebody being saved, or boy, when the invitation was given, there'd be 10, 15 people up there praying. I didn't have to ask, why are you coming today? If they needed me, they would tell me. They were up there praying, and, oh, Lord, we've gone several weeks now without seeing a soul saved. I'm convinced they believed everything depended on prayer. I'm just wondering, do we really believe that? I know I keep saying it, and I know even though I keep saying it, I fail sometimes, and I don't always pray like I ought to. But that doesn't change the fact if everything really does depend upon prayer, boy, we ought to be praying. Some of you remember I've been here, what, uh, we've been here 32, 33, 32 years now, and uh, 66, 33 years, 33 years now, and uh Back then, some of you will remember, no doubt, 30 years ago, on several occasions, we had what was called cottage prayer meeting. We'd meet in homes. Everybody was invited. Everybody could come. Sometimes, you know, it'd be packed out, people coming there, and we'd all get around and share our request and pray for one another. That was back before some of you young people were even born, and uh, a lot of a lot of you old enough... Uh, that you can, you can remember those days. And um, here's the last point. I don't need to say much about it, but it makes the point, and that is that he was rewarded. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And notice here in verse number 18, he prayed again in the heaven, gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. His prayer was rewarded. In other words, his request was granted. His prayer was profitable. It was not a waste of time. And if we're really praying with the right attitude, out of a righteous heart, I promise you our prayer will not be in vain. It will not be a waste of time. We just got to keep ourselves out of the rut. I said we, not you. We have to keep ourselves out of the rut and pray like everything depends on it. What would you do if you really knew that your marriage, your marriage depended on how you pray? How would you pray? If your marriage depended on how you pray, how would you pray if your finances depended upon how you would pray. Are you with me? Those things are important to you, right? You care about how much money you got in the bank. You care about whether 
your wife or your husband's going to leave you, you care about those things. How would you pray if everything depended on how you pray? And that's how you ought to be praying. It's how I ought to be praying. And I just tonight challenge you that let's all follow the example of Elijah. He got it right. And we need to follow that example. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Of, forgive me, Lord, of the many times that I find myself back in the rut, the times that I say maybe all of the right things, and, and yet, Lord, I don't pray as earnestly as I ought to, the times that, that I ask you to do things without ever really giving you proper consideration for what you've already done, for being as grateful as I ought to be for your blessings. And Lord, we realize that as long as we live, this business of prayer is going to be a learning process for us because our flesh is weak. We do fail. Satan does resist us and try to stop us every way that he can. But I just pray tonight that you might open our eyes and help us to see the great importance of prayer and that we can look back on the life of Elijah and many others and that we can be inspired by their example and that we'll leave here tonight asking you that with your help that we'll all begin to pray like everything depends on it. Forgive us of our failure and help us, Lord, to, to maintain our resolution. And we promise we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. I don't know what God...